turn back now to the book of Acts and to chapter number 3, and we can read at verse 19. Acts chapter 3, at verse number 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago, and so on. Now we are all very conscious that our lives are bound by time, and we are also aware of the way in which time seems to race on. And the Bible tells us quite clearly in the book of Ecclesiastes that there is a time for every matter under heaven. There is a time to work, there's a time to rest, there's a time to study in school, there's a time to take a rest from studying. There is a time for everything. And the Bible also tells us in that same chapter in Ecclesiastes that God makes everything beautiful in its time. In other words, there is a time for everything and in that moment we have the opportunity to do the things that God requires us to do. Time is important. As you read the story of the church in the book of Acts, we see that there is a time for the church to be born. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. The New Testament church is born when the Spirit of God comes down. We see at the end of chapter 2 and onwards that there is a time for the church to grow. And it's so remarkably encouraging that we see life after birth, that we see growth where God has begun to work. And we see as the church develops, we see that there is a time for the church to face challenges along life's way. There is a time for everything, every matter under the sun. In particular, today there is a time for you and for me. And when we come to look at this address given by Peter in this chapter, when we come to look at it, we want to see the way in which there is a pattern for gospel ministry and see the way in which from the words that we have focused upon, there is the idea of time and the opportunity for blessing. God gives opportunity for blessing. We want to see, first of all, that there is a time of reconciliation. There's a time to bring parties together. And we'll read from verse 17, from the way in which there is the reference to the sin of this people. And Peter says to them, I know that you acted in ignorance. In other words, they didn't realize what they were doing. And what was the particular sin? What was the particular action that they 
acted in ignorance it was, the way in which from verse 13 to verse 15, the way in which they delivered and denied the Lord Jesus, the way in which they denied the Holy and Righteous One, and the way in which they killed the author of life. In other words, the sin of ignorance was the sin that they committed when they rejected the Lord Jesus. And when Peter mentions to them that this sin was one committed in ignorance, there is the door of hope opening. Because here were a people who knew their Bibles. They knew what God had said in the Old Testament. They knew that God had made a distinction between a sin that was done in ignorance and a sin that was done willfully and in the face of light and understanding. And in Numbers chapter 15, there is the sin that is done in ignorance, not realizing what we're doing. And for that sin, there is a sacrifice that brings about atonement. In other words, there is a sacrifice that covers the sin and that restores the person to the fellowship of the people of God. The sin that is done willfully is a sin that's done deliberately against God and for that sin the person is cast out of the kingdom of God the sin of ignorance and for all those today who have not believed in the Lord Jesus who understand what the word of God says and what the gospel is about there is the reality that your rejection of the Lord Jesus it's largely based on ignorance in the sense that you don't realize what you are doing. And the marvel of the gospel is such that the person who is sinning in that way against God, that for that person there is hope. And for you today, there is hope for you in the Jesus whom you are rejecting and have done so down through the years of your life. The sin of ignorance opens the door of access to what Jesus has done on the cross because despite the rejection of this people, God fulfilled what he had spoken in the mouths of the prophets. There was that time that defines the rest of history when the enemies of Jesus nailed him to the cross and when at the same time God was fulfilling his plan to save the world, even to save those who, who were responsible for nailing to that cross because he was overriding everything for their good. Isn't God marvelous in his plans? And isn't he marvelous in his compassion because Despite what they did, he wasn't going to hold that against them. And of that sin, he is calling them to repent and to turn back. And the two things are significant. The repentance speaks to us of the way in which they are to change their minds change their minds in their view of the Lord Jesus. 
And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 7, he explains to us and gives to us an important distinction. And the distinction is between the grief of this world and the grief that comes from God. And we all know what it is perhaps to to waken up in the morning and to be grieved in our hearts because of the consequences of the actions of the night before. We are sorry for ourselves because the grief that we have caused ourselves through our actions. It is a worldly grief. It doesn't bring about any kind of change. It arises from within ourselves. It is focused upon ourselves and leaves us unchanged. But contrasted to that, he speaks of the godly grief. The one that arises from outside of myself, that comes to me from God, where I realize my sin against God, and it is a godly grief that works repentance unto salvation. It is the stepping stone that has its origin in the, in the God against whom I have sinned and in the Christ whom I have rejected. It has its origin there. It brings about a change in my heart and brings to me the salvation that there is in that very Christ that I had previously rejected. And that's the call of the gospel to them. And the pattern is set by these messages in the book of Acts so that today, for you, for all of us, there is the call to repent. A change of heart in view of what we have done and in the light of what God has done. And so that the Christ whom we have rejected is the Christ in whom we find hope and find relief, the repentance. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. It is embracing the Christ rejected. And along with repentance, there is the turning back. And why is that significant? It's significant because it gives us the picture of a people who have gone away from a a, a place or a point and are called upon to come back to that place. In other words, it's a command that arises out of the story of the people of God in the Old Testament who are being addressed here, who are at the end of the chapter, the children, the offspring of Abraham, who are part of the covenant community. They are to come back again to the place that they had left behind. In other words, if we can be particular and ask and say that repentance is for those who have never known the grace of God, the turning back is for those who are the children of God, who are the people of God who have drifted away from God and who today need to hear the call of God to turn back to where you were, to turn back to where you belong and to turn back to that place that God has given to you 
And so the, the message that, that Peter has in addressing the, the audience before him, it's all embracing as it is today. The sinner who does not and has not known the grace of God, repent and believe. The disciple who has drifted from God and gone far away from God is asked to turn back and to come to the place in the presence of God on which you have turned your back. And there is that time of reconciliation because in that coming back there is the most transforming experience that humankind can ever go through in life. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Everything that you have done in nailing the Son of God to the cross, everything that you have done in rejecting the Son of God, everything that you have done in turning your back upon the Son of God, and drifting along life's way in your own way and in your own paths, everything that you have done against God will be blotted out, erased from memory. We delete something on, on, on our computers and we have the warning. Are you sure you want to delete this? This action cannot be reversed. If I press this button, it's gone forever. And here, Peter is saying with regard to my sin, that it may be blotted out. Are you sure you want this action to be performed? Surely today, that's exactly the action we want God to carry out on our behalf. That he would put his finger on what Christ has done for us in dying for our sins on our behalf and on our name, and pressing that button of his grace and mercy, and wiping out our sins forever, blotted out. In the days in which Peter was living, they would write with, with ink on, on their papyri, papyri, and, and doing so, the ink did not go soak into the paper as the ink does in the way in which we write. It was on the surface. And so easy just to wipe away and have a clean slate. And that's God's promise today. A clean slate. The removal of the burden of guilt. The removal of the possibility of penalty. The, the, the removal of, of the, the baggage that we see in Pilgrim's Progress. How it weighs us down so often in life. If we understand or learn anything about sin, the way in which it crushes us because of the guilt of unforgiven sin. And we read something of that in Psalm number 32. But here is a time for reconciliation. A time for you to repent and to come back. And what a moment that is when God promises that I will forgive your iniquity and I will remember your sin no more. 
you will probably remember it. But the important thing is that God is saying he will not remember. Total forgiveness. That gives total peace. That gives the sense of being reconciled to God. A time for reconciliation. If God would grant us in his mercy to have that together, what, with what joy we would worship and with what joy we would sing and with what joy we would serve. A time of reconciliation. Secondly, there is a time of refreshment. And wow, how we need that. Refreshment in every kind of way. And we see the way in which in, in verse 20, there is that incentive that uh, Peter draws attention to that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And, and the idea of time in, in the Greek language, there are two particular words used for it. And the word that's used for time here, it speaks about time with regard to quality. In other words, what is the prevailing thing at the time? We think in life, that was a time of joy. We think in life, that was a time of suffering. That was the prevalent thing. And here, there is the time of refreshment. The time when refreshing is the prevalent thing. And if we have come from the situation of our sinnership, and the prevalent thing being the burden of our guilt, the prevalent thing being the sense of being crushed and, and having not only a freedom that we long for, moving away from that here, now there is a time when the prevalent thing is the very opposite to that. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. We see plants in our gardens or in our homes and, and we see that because they have not been watered they begin to shrivel up and lose any sign of having life at all. And as the people of God sometimes we can become like that and sometimes we can feel just like that because we haven't had the refreshing because we haven't had the watering, we're dried up and shriveled. We read and hear so much of the, of the heat wave in the southern part of the country. And so many reports of, of rivers drying up and seems unlikely that, that the life of the river and the life of the land around the river will ever recover. It's scorched and burnt and dried up. There is no sign of life. And today, if we feel like that in our hearts, feel the sense of having lost any sign of freshness, then there is an incentive here and a promise here 
that meets our needs exactly. And in the Psalm 72, which we, some of which we sang, we see the way in which God promises that when his king reigns, he will be like the rain that falls on the moon grass, as the showers that water the earth. And we see the moon grass and the rain resting upon it. There shall freshness and there shall vitality in it that, that speaks of, of, of greenness and speaks of fruitfulness. The refreshing that comes from the presence of God. And literally that means the refreshing that comes from the face of God. And for the Old Testament saints, and for the people of God who have belonged to the covenant community, they understand that the blessing of God comes, as we read in the ironic blessing in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Make his face to shine upon you. It comes into the very area of, of reconciliation. That when my sins are forgiven, I come to be reconciled to God and seeing as it were God face to face through the passion of the Lord Jesus. And from that seeing his face, knowing the refreshing that flows like like, like a river that's accompanied by sunshine that brings to my heart everything that it needs to have a harvest of life and a harvest of fruitfulness. And interestingly, and of great importance, is the understanding of the very same people that when they're obedient to God, God has promised that he will send them the rain. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we read of the Lord opening up the good treasury of heaven. Beautiful words that speak to us of, of the riches that God has for his people. He opens up the good treasure of heaven and he will send the rain in its due season. And when the people of God are disobedient, the Lord will close up the heaven and he will make the rain of your land powder. In other words, he will hold back the rain and everything will be scorched and burnt. And today there is a time of refreshment promised. And these times are brought before us here as times because this will not always be the case. And, and you're saying in your own heart, oh, don't I know that it's not always the case? Because perhaps the kind of season and times that you are more aware of, that they are the times when this refreshing is missing and times of scorching like the psalmist was in Psalm number 63, his flesh fainting, for God in a dry and weary land. But against that, 
and to meet with that cry need. The times of refreshing come. And there are two things surely in that time of refreshing. There is the need for shade. And the psalmist speaks in Psalm 91 of abiding in the shade or in the shadow of the Almighty. Times of refreshing in the shade. And at the same time, at the same time there is the drink that comes from the river of God that satisfies the soul of the sinner reconciled by the grace of God. Times of refreshing. Where we pray that today we would find ourselves, ourselves in such times, sensing the shelter of the shade of God, keeping away from us the heat of the battle and the heat of the journey and the heat of the testing and giving us to drink of the brook of the river of life along life's way. A time for refreshment. And thirdly, there is a time of restoration. And a time of restoration brings me the image that once I saw something perfect, now it's a ruin and a wreckage. And the day is coming when that perfection will be restored by the hand of the great builder and the great restorer and the great developer. And that's what Peter is referring to here. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago that he may send the Christ appointed, set apart, set up, placed in this position by the hand of God for a particular purpose. And interestingly, in the detail of the words that perhaps we would overlook, send the Christ appointed for you isn't it wonderful that in the promised restoration of the gospel that God has appointed Christ for you, for those who are reconciled, for those whom he is refreshing, that he is for them. And he is, according to the purpose of God, he is resident in, in heaven right now, whom the heavens must receive. Open to me the gates of righteousness. The Son of God, raised from, from the dead, enters into the glories of heaven, there until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. And then, the day of restoration. The time of restoration. And this time, the time not with regard to quality, but the time with regard to quantity. 
In other words, this moment is enduring and it is eternal. Yes, there, there is something that prevails all of the time. But it is a time which will never come to an end. And it is a time for restoring. For restoring something to its former state. And God promised his people in the Old Testament, I will return them to their own homes. I will return them to my own city. The ransom of the Lord shall return. They're coming from where they had drifted to and where they had lived in this world. They're coming from there and they're returning to the Jerusalem of God. The image that really speaks of the restoration of God, of creation itself. Where Isaiah speaks of a new heavens and a new earth. Where Peter speaks of the same thing in his second epistle. Where there is that restoration when God will wipe away all tears from eyes. Having wiped away all sin from their account, the day of restoration is the day when will wipe away all tears. It is a return to the paradise of God. And perhaps you might say that the final glory of the people of God is different to the paradise of God in Eden. And the Bible seems to make it clear that what God has at the beginning is what he will have at the end. That glory to which he is restoring everything. And the one unique difference will be that doesn't change the paradise, but that makes it secure. And that is that Adam was able to stay there as long as he was obedient to God. But for you and for the people of God, you'll be able to stay there as long as Jesus is the Son of God and God's King and God's Mediator and God's Throne. And that, of course, is forever. A time for restoration. Now let's today make good use of the time. In the words of Paul, let's redeem the time. And let's know that in the gospel there is a time for reconciliation. Let's pray for the time of refreshment. And let's keep looking forward to the time of restoration. When we will enter into the paradise of God. And when God will shut the door and nothing will ever come in that will harm us anymore and where we can drink of the river of the water of life and, and eat of the tree of life that is on both sides of the river and do so as the Lamb of God leads us into fountains of living water having no more tears but joy forever in the salvation 
that God has given to us. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we rejoice in you and give thanks to you for your gospel. We are thankful for the reconciliation that we have in Christ Jesus. And we are thankful also that you have purposed to reconcile everything to yourself through the cross of Jesus Christ, your Son. And we are thankful that there is more to our salvation than, than what we enjoy and experience in this world, but that our final and full enjoyment of it will come when you return to this earth and you will gather all of your people to be forevermore with you. So bless your word to us and hear our prayer and accept us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.